This morning, uh, the sermon is inexpressible and glorious joy. We're going to find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you don't mind, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first nine verses. And if you don't mind, please stand for the reading of God's word. It reads this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedience to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen me that as I am to speak on your word this morning, that it would come across with clarity, that by the Holy Spirit you would speak to each heart, Lord, Mine included, all of us, Lord, as we consider what your text says this morning. We thank you, Lord, that our joy comes from you and so many things you have given us in this life that we would have great joy, even along with suffering at times. So we submit this to you this morning, looking forward to being fed in your house, amongst our brothers and sisters, at your table. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The text this morning starts out addressing who it's going to. It's going to those that are chosen. Those that are chosen, but also those that are living and exiled, dispersed abroad. So God's chosen people find themselves scattered. 
And these places that are named here in the text are in the northern part of the Roman Empire of that day, which is modern-day Turkey. And one of the things uh, about being dispersed and, and, and being exiled and being all, all over the place, uh, sometimes it could bring us to a place where we're wondering, what, what are you doing in my life, God? A am I being blessed? Is your comfort um, at a premium when you consider what it means to be blessed? And, and in other words, when, when we think about what it is to be blessed, is it, hey, as long as these good things are happening, I consider myself blessed? Or is it much more than that? Because uh, if you had to right now pack up everything that you had in the next 10 minutes and leave where you live and go off somewhere, do you start questioning God and his goodness? Um, do you start uh, to think that that would rob you of your joy um, and, and what a problem this would bring about in your mind, uh, not only because of your comfort, not because you have to leave everything, but in your relationship with him and, and how that would affect your relationship with him. And in this text, Peter is is speaking to a group of people, and the biggest um, problem that they had is similar to the problem that we have today. It was God's people um, living in a society, amongst others, that were ignorant of the true God. And, and if we're not careful, a living in that type of society can rob us of our joy. Um, and just because they were Christians, one of the things that happens in society as a Christian is you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be misunderstood. At times, you could even be subjected to, to cruel treatment. And Peter, uh, his pastoral purpose here is to help these early believers to recognize, hey, you may have some temporary suffering. But in the full light of God's eternal glory to come um, is nothing. So, so don't get discouraged because the sovereign God of the universe will take care of you. And by faith in him, you should be able to maintain your joy. God will provide the grace you need to enable his community of believers to grow in maturity in all that we go through. The text says that uh, they were chosen, uh, they were dispersed, uh, but uh, this was done according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And it also says through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled, with the blood of Jesus Christ. So when this is being said, one of the things that we see here is all parts of the Godhead working together. It says that the Father had foreknowledge of the situation that they were going to be in. Just like he has foreknowledge of every situation that we're going through. And, and in those situations, there is a sanctifying work that is being done by the Spirit. 
So, so everything that they faced and all that we face, there is something that God is doing by his spirit in sanctifying us and growing us in who we are. And we're called to be obedient by the sprinkling, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, meaning we are his people. We are covered by him. God having this foreknowledge is is more than simply God knowing was going to take place. But it goes so much deeper than that. If, if you think about God having foreknowledge of everything about you before you face it, it helps you know how relational he is to you, how you are a part of his family. And this sanctification through the Holy Spirit is that operation that uh, is applied to our work of redemption as Christians. And it is maturing us and it's setting us on course for us to do the task that we're called to do. When we read this text, uh, it goes on to say that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because of his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It says, into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and kept in heaven for you. An inheritance is a gift that a child receives from a parent. It, it, it speaks of our family connection to God. And God is holding it for you until he determines the time that he's going to give it to you. Often um, when we have something to pass down to our children, we want them to be in a position to receive it, that it won't hurt them, and that it will uh, benefit them. And when we even thinking about things of that nature, um, if, if God is holding it, um, he won't lose it on a bad investment, right? We could have, like, in our minds something that we want to give to our offspring, and we say, well, let me just try to grow it a little bit. Right. And um, inflation or a bad investment could wipe it out. Not so with what God is holding on um, to on our behalf. And, and then if, if I'm even planning that and through the relationship with my child, uh, things go awry. We're not getting along the same way we got along when I initially thought this is what I have set aside for you. Now maybe I change my mind and I give it to one of your siblings instead. Now you get nothing. God doesn't operate that way with his children. So, so this inheritance that he has for us, it, it, it's imperishable. It's, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. God doesn't change his mind about those things. 
The text says you are being guarded by the, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We should take great joy in that because we know, uh, even the Bible tells us, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. The Christian is not kept by his own power. You, you are not kept by your own keeping, but by the power of God. He guards you. We, we're well acquainted with that because what happens when darkness is all around you and your faith is shaken? You don't keep you. God keeps you. What happens when your body is racking with pain? You don't keep you. God keeps you. What about all the times that you wanted to, to quit? You didn't keep yourself. He kept you. And he's keeping you. And he's going to keep on keeping you. The text says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief and various trials. One of the things that we are well acquainted with in life is that life brings us both great joy and great heartaches. Can, can you rejoice and suffer simultaneously? We do that at the same time. We will suffer and joy. We hold in our hearts both positions. The Christian experience, our Christian experience, is a paradox. It's, it's a great riddle to the world. How can you both suffer and have joy at the same time? Well, well that's not the only paradox that we face. The Christian is a child of the first Adam, an heir of wrath like everyone else. But he is also a child of the second Adam. He, he was born free. And we know that the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation he is, in his very existence, a riddle. Although dying, we live. Matter of fact, for the Christian to live, he must die. This riddle continues. Although we are free, we are slaves to righteousness. Our spiritual Life is a riddle. We find that those things that make us akin to the devil, depravity and corruption and sin, those things that still bind us to the earth and cause out to us to cry out, oh, wretched man that I am. Yet, 
we have rank and position. We're called children of God. We're called his holy people. We've been set apart for his good pleasure. And we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What a condition we find ourselves in. We're, we're corrupt in one sense and yet purified. We are mortal and yet immortal. We fall short, but yet we are exalted above all powers and principalities. This is, this is the Christian experience. This is where we find ourselves. But in this place, there should be much joy. The text says you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. The suffering here is called first a short time. So it's, it's brief. And then it's, it's also necessary. Luther said, affliction is the best book I have in my library. We can read all the books in the world, and books teach us a lot. But affliction, he said, is the best book in my library. How many things that we have faced and what it has done to the benefit of us in our character, in our spiritual life. Matter of fact, if we don't have trials, we grow proud. We always grow proud in the absence of trials. We wander off. We forget where our source comes from. We forget where our strength comes from. And, and in that, we're going to lose our joy. Joy is very much tied to our faith. Because we have to ask, do we believe God. Do you believe God? And to the degree that you believe him determines the level of joy that you retain when situations get tough. We all falter and are all shaken by circumstances. But as we mature in the Lord, we, we need to grow where the things that shook us once don't shake us anymore. We, we, we need to come around sooner where we don't come to a place where we feel that we're destitute and we just hang on to that position. We, we, we all experience those things, but there should be a quick turning for those that are mature. No, no, no. God has brought me through. God's word says, God has shown me time and time again, he has done, and that should Keep us in a constant state of joy. The text says, so that proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result. The reason for this is so that you come to a place in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindoll said this, joy is a choice. It is a matter of attitude that stems from one's confidence in God, that he is at work, that he is in full control, that he is in the midst of whatever has happened 
is happening or will happen. Either we fix our minds on that and determine to laugh again, or we go well and whine our way through life. We determine which way we should go. Our joy is tied into our faith in God. The text says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. God created us to enjoy him because joy is the clearest witness to the worth of what we enjoy. Right? When we enjoy something, there is a witness to how precious that thing, how much that thing is worth to us. The Psalms tell us, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Verse 9 says, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. There is a goal to our faith, and it is the salvation of our souls. When Jesus came to this earth, Luke 2 uh, says that in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and were watching at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in clothes and lying in a manger. When we continue in the text past verse 9 and 1 Peter 1, it speaks about Concerning this salvation, God coming to the earth to do what he just did and in the beginning of that we just read. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and to the glories that would follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. This is your salvation that has come. This is the great joy of 
the Christian, because we were separated from God, and our desire is to be with God, even when we don't know it, and we think our desire is all this other stuff that we chase after. Once we get to it, we recognize this is not what it, what I thought it was going to be. Our desire is to be close to God. Psalm eighty-four ten says, "Better." in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. God has given us relationship with him and that we should take great joy. God has given us relationship with people. God has given us this world and all the creation to enjoy. God has given us work to enjoy. I know some people don't sound like work is enjoyable. He plays Adam in the garden and told him, tend the garden. Work is what you're called to do. There is even joy, not only in living, because we should be loving life and living it, but there is joy for the believer in dying. Just imagine crossing over to the other side. And in a moment of time, you're leaving pain and suffering over here. Imagine in that moment, in the time that the scales fall from your eyes and all your doubts and fears that you had on this side are erased. Imagine the sounds. Imagine the smells. Imagine what your eyes see, things that are unspeakable, what we will behold. Imagine that you're greeted by loved ones who escort you around and start to show you all that's there. And then you find yourself in the presence of angels and elders as they bow down and sing songs of salvation. And then you see our king and our God face to face. I read a, a quote and it says, Christians without joy are basically useless to the work of God. They will enter heaven when they die, but they will take no one with them. After all, who would want what they have? Who would want what they have? Why, why would I follow you? You have no joy in your life. We're called to have joy. So, so this, this riddle where we both have suffering and trials and all of this stuff going on, we have the joy of our salvation. We have the Lord, and he has given us all this other stuff to enjoy. And it's going to get better. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Isaiah 53, where it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. But another text says, For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross. It says he was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. But for the joy 
that lay before him, he endured the cross. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken and struck down by God and afflicted. But for the joy that laid before him, he endured the cross. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquity, punished for our peace was on him, and he and we are healed by his wounds. The joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. He was thinking about what was to come. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own ways, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. What joy? The joy of seeing the redemption of his people. What joy? The joy of him seeing you and me freed from the bondage of sin. What joy, the joy of seeing us praising our King with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds. That's in Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, Jesus did not walk this earth with all of those things that we read without joy. He, he enjoyed his life here. He, he enjoyed being with his disciples. He enjoyed communing with the Father. He enjoyed the mission that he was on because he knew what it was going to produce. Where are you seeking your joy? It, it cannot be from this world system because this world system will not satisfy. And one of the greatest threats to our joy is disobedience to God's word. We, we, we think that um, I'm going to have God and, and, and still find my satisfaction and joy and pleasure in all of these other things and is actually robbing your joy because you're not going to be in those two places at the same time and feel fulfilled. Even, even, even the sinner has a level of joy void of the Holy Spirit because it doesn't have the same level of conviction coming on him even though he's slowly dying. But the, the, the one who is trying to play both sides of the fence is in constant turmoil. But even the, the joy of the sinner is only temporary. A, a writer from the 19th century said, the children of the world first joy, then must sorrow forever. But the children of God First sorrow, then rejoice forever. So
so many people are blind. That's why we are on mission. And every single sorrow that the believer encounters, God is using it to build us, to keep us close to him, for us to rely on him. And he's doing things that is going to be beneficial to our soul. The children of the world and seeking all of these pleasures, if they continue on that path, their sorrow is going to be eternal. So the sorrow that we go through, along with the joy that we have, is temporal. But we will rejoice forever. The good news is that even for the sinner, when they turn, God accepts them. Matter of fact, the, the word of God says, not only does he accept them, but just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We were all there. We were looking for it in all of these places and kept coming up empty. I remember the day I submitted to the Lord and he showed me a vision. I didn't know that scripture of all the angels in heaven rejoicing because his son had come home. If you have no joy today, it may be because you've been looking for it in the wrong places and you need the Lord. If you are a child of God and lack joy, it may be because you are trying to play both sides of the fence. You must seek your joy from him. If you are a believer and you are living right and submitted to him and you still lack areas of joy, it may be because you're not trusting him in those circumstances that you have and you're allowing those things to overwhelm you as if he's not in charge, as if he's not sovereign, as if he's going to drop the ball, as if he's not going to bring it to pass. And you need to be strengthened in your trust in him. The natural response for the believer is to live a life of joy. When, when we read these truths about what he has done, it should bring us great joy to know that he has all of these stored away for, for you, that you are his, that you are seated with him in the heavenlies despite 
what you're going through. And that at the same time, we suffer, because we do, that we can have joy in the midst of it, knowing God has it all under control. Every one of those situations. This is a day of great joy for the one that God has opened his eyes, said, you're going to find your joy and your peace and the love you've been looking for in me. It can be found nowhere else. And prayerfully, this text has strengthened someone this day in their trusting in the Lord for every one of their situations. Or the person that's riding the fence and still thinking, I'm going to hold on to my insurance policy with God, but I'm going to live any way I want. You will be in misery. That is actually a grace of God that you're miserable because he does not want to keep you in that place. Would you stand with me, church, so we can pray? Father, we thank you that we can have a joy that surpasses understanding, that that it is like a riddle that for us to live, we must die. For us to win, we must surrender. That although we have all of these things and going on at the same time, we can still have a peace and a joy and a recognition that every single thing is going to work out. Not because we're going to wish that into existence, but because of who you are. And because we are yours. We are your children. We have an inheritance. You just told us that, Lord. We want to thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would search each one of our hearts. We're lacking joy. If a circumstance is overwhelming us that we would know is nothing too big for God. Build our faith, Lord. If, if we're still trying to have pleasure in all of these things outside of you, Lord, that we would surrender, that we would come back to you. And we thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering and your patience for the believer that struggles. I've been there, Lord. Thank you that there's no condemnation in you, Lord. Thank you for your loving hand of mercy and grace for the one that seems trapped, but they're a believer. Draw them, Lord. Bring them home, Lord, that they would have fullness of joy in you. We pray for the one 
when you drop the scales from their eyes this day, they recognize, Jesus, you're all I've been looking for. They would repent, accept your free gift of salvation. The text that we read in Isaiah 53, that all you went through on the cross is to pay their debt of sin that they owe. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, oh God. Give them a joy where they're bursting at the seams. Sight to the blind, Lord. Hope, Father, to the depressed. We thank you, Lord, because this joy that you've given us and all that you've done for us, we don't deserve. But you've bestowed it on us as your children, Lord. And it's going to get better and better and better. Help us to reflect on that in this season, Lord, as we celebrate you coming as a babe. But you were a king when you came, and you sit on your throne now. And you're preparing a place for us. And you're coming back for us, oh God could be any day. Give us a great anticipation and let that be such a part of our joy. And as you're bringing us from glory to glory and changing us day by day, let that be a part of our joy. And as you're working on us and sanctifying in the trials and tribulations that we go through and we are changing, let that be a part of our joy. And the pleasures that you give us of relationship with you, with people, with nature, Lord, with work, with living and leaving here and dying where real living starts. Let that be a place that brings us joy. Let it be so overflowing and abundant that others look and see something different about us when they ask us the reason for the hope that lives within us, Lord, that we would proclaim your holy name, Lord, that they would recognize we are children of the King. We thank you for that, Lord. We are joyous over that, Lord. We praise you for that, Lord. We rejoice in your goodness, Lord. Have your way this day in each one of our hearts, Lord. Thank you for blessing us, Lord. In your matchless name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, family.